dreams, to sleep a chance to dream. I think humans have always been fascinated by dreams. And as to why we dream, there's all sorts of different theories. Uh, I thought that I would sort of start tonight by giving a little bit of the, the physiology. Yes, not exactly what is going on in our brains that link with dreaming and then move through to working with dreams and dreaming for a particular purpose. The understanding of dreams and what they mean, which, yes, brings in the Jungian ideas. I think that Jung probably got an understanding of dreams better than any other therapist before or since to work with dreams. Um, if one looks at the history of dreams, you find that pretty well every society as far back as records go have actually considered dreams to be the way in which we can communicate with the gods. I first came across this many years ago when I was travelling around Greece and I got to the temple at Olympia and there's one particular whole section of Olympia that is devoted solely to an area where people could go to sleep and to dream and to incubate dreams in which they would dream of the god or goddess that they were um, beseeching to come and answer their questions. I was actually very affected by finding this. It was like, goodness, you know, I mean, dreams are really important in Greek spiritual practice that they could build a whole temple area just for doing this. And then I, um, in, in Evans Went, he talks about the fairy faint in Celtic countries. He talks about specific places where, from what he could gather, the Celts used to go in order to spend 10, 12 days in an initiation type situation, a bit like the temples in Greece, where they would sleep and where they would dream in order to meet with the god or the goddess, the spirit that they wish to meet with, in order to have questions answered, in order to get enlightenment, in order to, to grow, to be initiated in a certain way. So these are two completely different cultures that actually use dreaming in a very similar way. And that for me is, is very interesting. It's like dreams have been important in terms of spiritual growth within Western spiritual systems for at least 2,000 years and quite possibly far longer. And then if, in my psychology degree, you know, reading about different cultures around the world, discover that there are cultures in which um, dreaming is important on a practical everyday level. <coughs> dreams are considered to have great importance within the culture as teachers, as, as a way of, of bringing messages through that are of great importance for the people within the culture. And that I grew up and dreams weren't mentioned. I mean, it wasn't until I started to do psychology in the early 70s that I actually came across people who talked and thought about dreaming. 
And this was quite an eye-opener for me, because all through my childhood, nobody had ever mentioned dreams or dreaming. So I grew up in a culture where, where dreams were forgotten about. And so to find that there were cultures in which dreaming was of paramount importance, that people would actually travel specifically to certain places and spend 10 or 12 days, you know, with a particular regime of specific diet and times for praying and so on and so forth, just to incubate dreams and that they could talk with their gods in this way. I was like, wow, there really is something important with dreaming. And of course there's, um, in the Christian culture, we've all read about Joseph, who got his prestige from being a dream interpreter and interpreting the Pharaoh's dream. And from this, we, I mean, this is more than 2,000 years old, isn't it? Have old Joseph is 2,000 years old, something this is way back when, you know, this, being able to interpret dreams is something of great importance. Now, in the last 20 years, people have started to really research into dreams. And you actually get what are called dream labs now, dream laboratories, where psychologists and physiologists are working together in order to try and understand what's going on in dreams. Since, since Freud, so in the last hundred years, psychologists have been working in dreams and trying to understand them. But in the last 20 years, there's been a lot of research. Now, what's been found in, in very basic essence is that as we go to sleep, so our brain waves, which during the day are what's called beta, they actually go quite fast. Now if you sort of look into your mind at the moment, you'll realise that you've got thoughts, you're hearing, you're actually moving at quite a pace, quite a speed. Now I don't know how many of you have done meditation, but if you maybe think of meditating. And you can feel your thoughts, you can feel your brain slowing down. And this is actually what happens in electrical terms. But at the moment, in electrical terms, the brain is moving at 14 cycles a second. But as you slow down, so the, the, the brain waves slow down until in meditation it's about 10 cycles a second. Now as you go to sleep, it slows down even more. And you go through a period of what's called hypnagogic state, which is about 5-6 cycles a second. And the hypnagogic state is, you're drifting off, you've more or less lost consciousness, but if somebody at that moment were to, to, to bring you to, you would realise that in your mind you'd been having these very vivid images. I don't know how many of you are aware of this, the hypnagogic state. It's almost like dreaming, but it isn't. You're still thinking, but everything is vivider than, than normal. So you might be thinking about <coughs> sitting in the garden, that afternoon but but you're not thinking in terms of words what you've got is an image of say the crocuses and they're really bright yeah? this is the hypnagogic state and it's a half sleep half waking dream type state but you're not actually dreaming yeah? that's actually a very interesting state and the tantrics call it the fourth state of consciousness and um, in this particular state one can do a lot of work 
this is a sort of a self-hypnotic state and you can really learn a lot about your mind and you can really it's a state in which you the yogics use for training the body to stay always hot or the heartbeat to go very slow or yes yeah, sort of, all sorts of other ways of training the body that's a hypnagogic state and it's also a state of consciousness used in psychic research a lot because if you become conscious in this state then you become very aware of psychic information so it's a state that I used in my research and used a lot in psychic research so anyway here's the brain slowing down in this particular hypnagogic state around five six cycles a second really quite slow but if you drop below that you come into what's called delta and this is deep sleep now falling asleep actually going from beta to delta takes about 20 minutes half an hour and you'll spend about an hour and a half in this deep state and then for some reason nobody knows why the brain waves speed up and speed up and speed up and speed up until the brain waves are once again going at the same speed as when you're awake but you're not awake you're dreaming and so the dream state is often called paradoxical sleep because if you look at the brain waves it's as if you're awake but you aren't you're fast asleep and if you look at the body the body is actually paralyzed in this state and some people have a dream in which they're running away and they're trying to move and they can't move and they can't move and they can't move well that's actually a sort of a semi-aware state of the fact that the body is paralyzed when you're dreaming yeah so so next time you have that sort of panic thing of you can't move know that actually that's you being aware of the fact that your body's paralyzed when you're dreaming and to me that's really intriguing why does this go on why does our brain come as if it's awake whilst the body goes into paralysis in the middle of sleep this goes on for about 10 minutes and then once again the brain waves cycle back down slower and slower and slower down into deep sleep for another hour and a half and then up again this time you dream for a bit longer about 15 minutes down again another hour and a half and so if you sleep for about eight hours you will have four dreams now I've come across people who say I never dream never dream and all I can say to them is if they go into a dream lab and they get wired up that they will have it proved to them that on an eight hour sleep that they will dream four times we all of us dream every single night of our lives so if you live until you're about 90 you are going to have spent 30 years sleeping and dreaming which is really quite a thought isn't it we spend a third of our lives in this other state of consciousness a third of our lives it's, it's for me it's quite mind-blowing you know we know so little about it and yet we probably spend in total more time sleeping and dreaming than doing any other thing because when we're awake we're doing all sorts of things 
yeah? Masses of different things when we're awake. You know, there's the time that we spend eating, there's the time that we spend talking, there's the time we spend reading, there's the time we spend travelling, there's the time we spend working, and so on and so on and so on. Time we spend playing with friends, yeah? But no one activity will probably ever, we ever spend as much time doing as we do sleeping and dreaming. So, in itself, it's probably the most important activity that we ever do in life. The one that we spend most time doing. And when I got that one, it was like, oh wow, you know, this is really important. Every single one of us, four dreams a night. Now, at most, we remember one or two dreams a night. I'm at the stage now where it's almost quite common for me to remember two dreams a night. Um, I've actually been having very disturbed sleep for the last five, six months. I've been through quite a lot of family emotional problems. And it's meant that I've been in grief and I've been sleeping very badly. So I've been waking up at two, three in the morning with a dream. Then I've been, after a couple of hours being awake, going back to sleep and having another dream and waking up from that. So I've been aware of two dreams a night and for me this has actually been quite good because I've been <coughs> looking at my dreams for over 20 years now. And when you only get one dream a night, you know, you get one insight into what's going on. And so I've had one thing to sort of look at and ponder over and what's it telling me about me and what I'm doing and how I'm doing and where I'm going sorting out the problems for me but I've actually been having two a night so I've been having two to look at which has actually been very interesting and great fun but it's not normal there's something called deja vu which maybe you all know about and this is where you're in a situation and all of a sudden <coughs> you know you've been in this situation before and psychologists have pondered over the deja vu and exactly what it means for years now. And I have a funny feeling that the deja vu is where you've dreamt about something, you've forgotten the dream, because it's one of the three dreams that you dream every night which you never remember, and then you're in that situation. And it's like you've got the dream there, you haven't remembered the dream, but now that dream is giving you this feeling of, oh, I've been here before. I think that's what deja vu is about. Now, there's one other little thing about um, the, the, the physiology, yes, the, the, the pure mechanics of sleeping and dreaming, which is my particular little thing. Um, and those of you who've been to my talks before, you can just sort of, you know, fade away for the next few minutes. Because I've been very interested in what's called the pineal gland. This is a little gland that's right in the centre of our heads. Take a line through here and a line through the third eye. That's where you're going to find the pineal gland. And the pineal gland switches on at sunset. So it's active at night. It's a creature of the night and it works at night. And one thing it makes is something called melatonin. And melatonin is actually in charge of all the hormones in our body and it switches them off. So it's the off switch. So it switches everything off bit by bit. But it also affects the brain. 
and it affects the brain to switch it off as well in other words to put us to sleep so come sunset the pineal gland gets going and starts to make all its chemicals and by midnight about six hours after dark it reaches peak production and basically we want to go to sleep we get drowsy we fall asleep so that's the pineal gland puts us to sleep but the other thing that the pineal gland makes is a chemical cocktail and this chemical cocktail is structurally, structurally virtually identical with a chemical brew made by Amazonian peoples specifically to induce a hallucinogenic state of consciousness which incorporates out-of-body experiences where you leave your body you become one with your spirit guide which in those societies will be something like an eagle or a jaguar some sort of animal form and you go to other places to see what's going on or you travel into the future to see what's happening there or you use it for interacting with other spirits in the spirit world so they use a particular hallucinogenic brew for out-of-body experiences and for psychic experiences and the chemicals of this brew are virtually identical with the chemicals made by the pineal gland so the thought at the moment is is that the hallucinogenic chemicals made by the pineal gland are the trigger for dreaming because when we dream we actually experience a hallucinogenic state that is actually far more wacky and way out than you'll ever experience using psychedelic drugs you know that the psychedelic drugs just don't match the experience of dreaming it's way 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 more more out of it more you're somewhere else when you're dreaming I don't know how many of you have experience of your dreams but it's not uncommon to become a bird and to fly or to find yourself diving into the sea and swimming like a mermaid or something or to find yourself in a temple in ancient Egypt interacting with priests or whatever I mean we have the most outrageous experiences when we're dreaming they really are hallucinations par excellence so those people who think that hallucinations are for the insane only rest assured only the sane can stay sane because you have hallucinations all times the night if we don't dream we go mad and going mad is actually hallucinating while we're awake when, when you're really psychotic you go into another reality when you're awake and you have the same experience of hallucinating while you're awake if you don't go to sleep they've had experiments with people and they've kept them awake for night after night after night after night and after you've been awake for five nights and five days on the trot you start dreaming when you're awake and the symptoms and the experience that you have from not sleeping is the symptoms and experience of full-blown schizophrenia or psychosis so I just want you to know that in order to stay sane it's really important to hallucinate 
and just to turn around that whole thing of the culture that we grew up in that calls hallucination something of the crazy people. It's not. It's our way of staying right here, earth in this reality and able to cope with this reality. And unless we have our dreams, we can't cope. We need to become birds. We need to go to ancient Egypt. We need these unusual experiences that we call dreaming. They're very, very, very important for our mental and spiritual health. Mental and spiritual health. That's what they're important for. And so now we come to the psychology of dreaming. And this is the bit that I really enjoy. <laughs> this is a bit that I've been working with. I first started I first started working with dreams back in nineteen seventy one when I read Jung. And I read Jung and he goes on about dreams in the most wonderful way. He's totally inspiring and I do recommend if you're interested in dreams read the different books by Jung because he is fascinating memories, dreams and reflections man and his symbols you know all of these books to do with dreaming um, and his theories and ideas of dreaming he turned me on to dreams and so back in 1971 I did not remember my dreams yes I'd been brought up in a culture where dreams weren't mentioned and I cannot remember dreaming before 1971. And I decided I wanted to dream. So I did the technique. It was, was in the book that I read. And in this technique, what you do is you put a pad with a pencil under your pillow. And in the morning, the first thing, you write down whatever comes to mind. And you do it morning after morning after morning after morning. And bit by bit, the dreams come there's anyone here who doesn't remember dreams ask me after and I'll give you the full details of the technique and so I started to record my dreams and I've actually now got a record going back to 1971 and that feels pretty good and for a long time I just wrote them down and every so often it would take me you know I'd write them down and I wouldn't actually look at them very often but every so often maybe once a month I'd open my dream book and I'd read them and it'd be a bit like reading a science fiction novel yes you know, except very disconnected or maybe a surrealist film or something and I'd just read them and I wouldn't understand what they meant There's no understanding at all of what they meant it was just reading these experiences where my mind had been through the night of the previous few weeks since I'd last read them. And so over the years I bit by bit got to know my type of dreams and what my dreams were about. And so I bit by bit became familiar with my particular language of my mind. And I think that this is what we have to do because you can't actually have anybody tell you what your dreams mean. You've got to get familiar with your own dreams and you've got to get to know what your dream mind is about. Now there's, I'll come to it, techniques and ways that can help you to understand what they're about. But the basic thing is dreaming, becoming aware of your dreams and getting familiar with your own dream mind. Because in the dream mind, 
you are not thinking in the way that you think now when you're awake. It's a completely different way of thinking. It's what psychologists call primary process thought. Primary process thought. It's the type of thinking that it's thought children think before they use language. Which is why fairy tales are the sort of tale that children love. I mean, I still love fairy tales. I, I totally get off. And I've got book after book after book now and always more books coming into my library of the old Celtic fairy tales, of the Irish fairy tales, the Scottish fairy tales, the Breton fairy tales and I'm slowly building up all the tales from all the different cultures because they're just so interesting and I just love that language and I love the mythic archetypal mode of thinking of those tales and children latch onto it you know it's the type of language that children really get into and it's thought that this is our first way of thinking and that the use of the archetypes within fairy tales you always get the old hag the old woman you always have the three daughters or the three sons and the youngest is always the special one and they always have particular tasks the hero's journey that they go on and there's always the prince and the princess and there's often the baddies yes the robbers or the brigands or or yeah and so you know you've got these particular figures and you've got a particular scenario that gets acted out again and again and again within the tales and and it it feeds something within us that we latch on to and we go yes yes Yes, you know, well, it, it, it gives us, it sort of, it nurtures us, it gives us food. And the thought is, is that this primary process thinking, this way of thinking that you get in fairy tales, it's the same way of thinking that you get in dreams. And it's to do with what I would call the soul's way of thinking. That we're dealing here with our psyche. Now, psyche is used in words like psychology. And where you use words like psychology or psychiatry, what we're talking about is the mind. And so, yes, we are talking about the mind. But psyche is more than that. If you look up the word psyche in the dictionary, you're going to find that psyche doesn't just mean the mind, it also means soul. And I find it quite interesting. I talked about the pineal gland making this hallucinogenic cocktail that's thought to be the trigger for dreaming. Well, Descartes called the pineal gland the seat of the soul. That's quite interesting. So, I think that when we're getting into dream mind, primary process mind, we're getting into psyche, we're getting into soul mind. And this is actually another Jungian concept as well. And the other interesting, if you look at the, 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 the dictionary definition of psyche, psyche also means breath. And breath, at this level, links me in with what I would call prana, which is the yogic idea of breath. And it's psychic breath. It's the breath of life. You know, we define life. I've just been close to death. Life is when you're still breathing. 
I sat by my mother's body on her last day of life and I could tell she was still alive because she was still breathing so breath is life prana, life energy or ki in the Chinese words life energy and this is the essence of our spirit of our soul so when we're going into primary process thinking we're coming into soul level thinking and when I look at my dreams they are my dreams they're my images they're very personal nobody can actually interpret my dreams for me without me going yes you're right or no you're wrong because there's a feeling on when they've got it right or wrong only I really know what my dreams mean to me but at another level my dreams are using a language which is a language of symbolism and what I've been talking about with fairy tales of archetype now not all my dreams are mythic and archetypal but certain dreams are and these certain dreams that are mythic and archetypal are very very special ones they have a certain quality to them it's what I call a numinous quality that marks them out as being not the common and garden ordinary dream the archetypal dream and when I have this dream I'll give you one it was actually a dream induction and I'll talk about dream induction in a minute it was dream induction and I was asking a certain question from my psyche I wanted to know something and in the dream I was at a place where we were building a spiral labyrinth spiral labyrinth immediately we're into the mythic we're into the archetypal spiral labyrinth something from thousands of years we were building a spiral labyrinth and in order to do so we were chopping down these particular trees now we were having certain problems with one of the people who was working there a particular man and basically we basically we just sort of had to clear off and let him get on with it but I some level of me knew actually how to deal with him so I said to him right you carry on making the labyrinth with these trees that we've cut down and I will go into the center so I'm working behind you and I will clear up the fine detail and as I went into the center of the spiral labyrinth the trees weren't chopped down well the trees we chopped down were, were cedar trees they, 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 they were, were evergreens and all of a sudden in the centre I was in this sacred grove of beautiful beech trees and there was this light coming down through into the centre and it was like oh, magic very powerful temple place that I had walked into now that dream I can bring it up just like this it was powerful it had a real woof to it and those images of the spiral labyrinth and of the sacred grove of the trees and of the light you will find those images wherever you go across the world if you look at the myths and the legends of the aborigines the myths and the legends of the American Indians of the Siberian shamans of the Japanese of the Chinese any culture across the world people will resonate with those particular images with the archetypal images in fact the fairy tales of the Celtic peoples have their closest correspondence 
with the fairy tales of the Thai people of Thailand. Now our culture, Thai culture, is half a world apart and totally different. But our mythic culture is virtually identical. We are talking universal language. When we get into this mythic archetypal language of dreaming, we are talking a language that is common to the whole of humanity. Every single human being of the present, wherever they are in the world, or go back through the centuries, go back through the millennia, go back as far back as you can go, 4000 BC, the myth of Inanna in Babylon. Inanna of the Seven Veils, Inanna, the goddess who descends into the underworld and meets the underworld demoness. It's actually the same language. Yes? The same language. So the language of dreaming is a universal human language which cuts across all barriers. So we've got a barrier between the British and the French and that I speak English and they speak French and you know they've got a different culture from me and they think in different ways and they live in different ways and it's not my way, it's their way and the British and the French have got a nice history of not getting on and not meeting because we're different well even more so between the British and the Zulus even more so between the British and the Chinese very, very different. But get to this level and we are one. This is the level where we are all one. It's the holistic level, the level of wholeness where all of humanity needs. And I and Jung and other people who've worked with dreams feel that at this level of consciousness, the collective unconscious, we are the earth thinking. It's what's called the chthonic mind. This is the consciousness of the planet earth. The planet's consciousness. Human beings are part of nature. We are part of this planet. We are made of the earth of this planet. And our mind, our consciousness is therefore of nature. And we are the evolution of nature. Human evolution, spiritual growth is the planet's evolution. And this level of mind, this dream mind, is where we are, all of humanity, the, the planet, the planet thinking, the planet's consciousness. And for me this is like, yeah. And I know that in dreaming, more people have their strongest psychic experience than in any other state of consciousness because this state of consciousness is where we are one and when you are one then of course the psychic which is knowing something at somewhere else or knowing something in the future or whatever is part and parcel of that state of being it's not a supernatural state of being it's natural it's what you would expect because when you're at a state of mind where you are one with everything in, around the planet or one with all cultures into the past and the future then there's no space and time you understand your mind has gone beyond the time and space of being in this little box here and now you've gone beyond that 
you're into a level of being which is 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 where there is no space and time where it is universal mind and I don't know how many people actually have dreams of being not on this planet being in another dimension altogether and it's still peopled with beings but you know it's not this particular planet well is it maybe an experience of being somewhere out there in the universe it's possible yes in the dream mind this sort of thing becomes possible and so the ancient idea of dreaming in order to talk with the gods and the spirits is real because the gods and the spirits are the archetypes yes the gods and the spirits are the archetypes if you look uh, let's take the Greek because most people know their Greek most better if you look at the myth of Pan Pan is, is the fertility of nature it's that amazing energetic force of nature if you look at the myth of um, Venus well I'm going into Roman here but, but you know that myth that goddess myth is the essence of woman in her beauty alright these are the gods and the goddesses and these are the forces and the forms of the archetypal mind and these are where the gods and the goddesses reside now I'm not talking here about spirit about God because that is that is the ground of all being that's everything that is the whole universal mind but maybe there are some people quite a lot of people these days who actually feel that it's by going through our dreams that we actually connect with that spirit that, that level of spirit we connect with divinity we connect with the one we connect with the all we connect with the whole what we call God or God's spirit and it's quite awe-inspiring when you start to realize that this is the in a way the ultimate potential of dreams is to connect with wisdom dreams don't lie they might speak in a language that you find difficult to understand but the one thing that everybody who studied dreams will agree on is that dreams don't lie they always tell us the truth and where you get something that always tells you the truth you're in touch with wisdom because wisdom if nothing else is something that is always telling us the truth to be wise is to actually see clearly to have understanding to be enlightened to know clearly what is the right thing to say the right way to be the right thing to do in any particular situation rather than our normal confused gropings of should I do this should I say that oops should I keep silent should I what what should I do help I don't know I'm a confused mixed up muddled up unclear ignorant human being but you go into your dream mind and you actually go beyond that because it's only this conscious mind that can lie and we're always lying to each other and to ourselves and that's our confusion and that's our lack of clarity because we don't know we are ignorant we are unenlightened beings 
who are groping, blind leading the blind, trying our best to grow and get clearer, get more enlightened, more understanding. And so this is where dreams are therapy, and this is where dreams can teach. They are teachers. Because here is truth. Here is the possibility for wisdom. And here if we go deep enough, and Jung certainly did, we get in touch with the luminous, with the one, with God. In pagan terms, in all the different forms, which are the archetypes, or in more Buddhist or Zen or Christian terms with the grand all being, with spirit, with the highest ideal. I've got a list here of what dreams do, and this is the, is it? I think it is. I think this is from somebody called Scott Peck. I've just recently read one of his books called The Road Less Travelled and it's inspired me. I think it's an amazing book I've come across in the last few years and I do recommend it to people. I think this comes from him, but it might not do. It's a list of what dreams do for us. They give warning of personal pitfalls. So they warn us about us inside ourselves of where we're likely to go wrong, our pitfalls, our personal pitfalls. They are guides to the solution of problems. So you've got a problem, you don't know how to deal with it, and you don't know what the solution is, you can actually go to your dreams, and your dreams can guide you. They give proper indication that we are wrong when we think we are right. So you might think you're doing the right thing and I tell you, your dreams will tell you if you're not. In my dream this morning, I was trying to get somewhere and we were going into Castle Carey and I was trying to go to a farm called Ferngrove and we came into Castle Carey by a different road from the one I normally come in on but I knew that to get to Ferngrove I had to go in a road, went under a bridge and up a hill and here we were on a road and I said, I think this is the right direction we went under the bridge and up and we came into the station so I knew that we'd gone wrong but I also knew we are in the right direction and I got out and, I, and it went on now that dream was telling me that I was in the right direction but I had gone slightly wrong it also told me that the driver, the animus, understood the direction so it could get me back on the right course. Okay? So there was a dream telling me that, that I've gone slightly wrong. I'm in the right direction, but I'm not quite on the right road yet. Telling me. Yes? Watch out. Look. See. Watch. Take note. Be aware. You haven't quite got it right yet. There's a bit of you that knows. Follow that bit that can understand the instructions and can know how to go. It gives us encouragement that we're right when we think we are wrong. I like that one. Dreams are sources of necessary information about ourselves. They really are. They tell us about ourselves the whole time. Another dream. I, uh, I'll just keep giving you these examples just because they helped to explain. I, I had two dreams last night that I remember. 
Um, and in the first one, I kept on needing to have a shit, and I kept on not being able to have it. And as far as I'm concerned, that was telling me I've still got a lot of shit in me that I've got to get rid of, and I haven't got rid of yet, all right? So, it's necessary information about myself, you know, I've still got a hell of a lot of shit to get rid of. And I know I'm, I'm on the way, you know, I kept on trying to do it, and I kept on not being able to. I'm on the way, I'm getting there, but I've still got a, got a lot, got, got a long way to go yet. The direction finders when we feel lost, well, in my dream this morning, somebody actually told us how to go told us in broad Scots so that me, with my English way of thinking, couldn't understand it, but fortunately the driver of the car could. Direction finders when we feel lost are pointers to the way we need to go when we are floundering. Isn't that lovely, this? Isn't that just a dream? They really can help us. But first of all, you need to understand the language. For dreams to do these things, for you, to help you in your life's journey, to help you grow, to help you see the way to go, to help you understand what you need to do. You've got to understand the language, which is the language of symbolism. So you need to understand the language of symbolism. And there's various things that you can do. So number one is to keep the record of your dream. Number two is to talk about your dreams with someone. Because quite often, someone can understand this language clearer than you can yourself. Now, I, I now understand that that dream about going into Castle Carey and thinking I'm going in the right direction, ending up in the station, and the station person speaking in broad Scots to give the directions, me not understanding it, but the driver understanding it, and the driver was a man, is telling me, and he was actually driving on the left, and I was sitting on the right, so yes, he's all telling me stuff, which I now can understand the symbolism of. It means that I'm going roughly in the right direction, but I'm a bit lost, but my animus, that male bit that, that was driving the particular car, can understand the instructions, can understand how to get us back on the right road, but the animus is on the left, which is the intuitive side. So it's through the intuition, through my animus self, which is my creative self, yes, this is me as teacher, this is me doing my work, this is me as I interact, can actually help to get me back on the right path again and get me going again and get me spot on form again because I've been a bit off over the last few months what with one thing and another I haven't been spot on I haven't been right on there now I understand that language yes it's a bit of Jung the animus idea it's a bit of knowing about the left side is symbolic for the intuitive, it's symbolic for the feminine, it's symbolic for that whole way of being. We call the left side in French sinistra, which in English we've got the word sinister for, which is to do with the feminine side. Now I know all of that. So 
I can understand what that dream is saying to me. I can understand the thing of driving and going is me on my life path. Now if I get a dream where there's a glass or a cup, I know that it's not just the cup for me to have a drink. I know that this cup is a symbol more like the cups in the tarot pack. I don't know how many of you are familiar with tarot pack, but one of the suits in the tarot pack are cups. And in fact, in the modern card pack, which comes from the tarot pack, cups have become hearts. And that's because cup symbolizes emotion, heart essence, love. My cup floweth over. It's the Holy Grail. It's this whole symbolism of that which is not just cup but it means a whole lot more. So when you're talking symbolic language, you're talking layer upon layer upon layer of meaning. And so it's, it's, like tele, it's more than a telegram. It's where one image can condense masses and masses and masses of meaning into it. So when we're talking symbolic language, dream language, at first sight, it's going to be, what on earth is this about? You know, I don't understand why. I, I'm thinking now of a dream of someone in my dream group, because I do a dream group in Glastonbury, and he found himself pinned out on a desert floor. He couldn't understand why in his dream he was like pinned out on the desert. It was an image that was totally alien to him. But by looking at the image and by getting him to explore what it meant for him by doing the techniques, we got him to do what's called word association technique. We got him to do what's called free association technique. Now he had this image and he didn't know what the image meant because it's just an image but it's an image that's got all sorts of meaning in it. The word association technique is where you get the image, the symbol, let's say cup, yes? And I would write down every single thing that cup means to me. Now I've already mentioned to you, holy grail, tarot pack cups, which takes me to heart, takes me to love, cup flow, yes? Given you half a dozen images of what cup means for me at the symbolic level. But just what cup means. Now if we went round every single person here, I bet you we would come up with more than 200 different associations to cup. I bet you, more than 200. And probably that's an underestimate. We'd probably come up with more. Each of us would have maybe half a dozen associations in common. And then there'd probably be another half dozen of your associations that one or more other people had. But every single person here would have five or six associations that were unique to them. Unique to them, that no other person would think of. Yes? So, in looking at the word association, you see all the things that you associate with that particular image. And this begins to give you an idea of what that image in your dream is about. So when you have a dream 
you don't understand it, get hold of one of the central images in the dream and write down every single thing that comes to mind. And it can be songs, it can be book titles, it can be films, it can be anything, yes? Anything at all that comes to mind to do with that image. That's word association. Free association, which is what Jung devised, is where you take the image, let's say cup, and you go the first thing that comes to mind, water. You then do the first thing that comes to mind to that word, sea. You then do the first thing that comes to mind with that word, see, sand. Then the first thing, okay, do, do you see what I'm saying? So you make a chain of associations. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, until you've done about 12, 15. Now what you'll find if you look at these associations is that a, a picture emerges that started off with cup and which has taken you to, to see and see is the mother of all things. It's got masses of symbolism around it as see God, all right? But also you will find that there are certain points where either your mind went blank for a bit and you couldn't think of something and then something came through and it's a very odd association <coughs> and it's why on earth would you have that particular association? It's not, I mean, all what I did, cup, water, sea, sand, they're all very obvious associations. But I'm sure if you'd started with cup, you'd have gone in a completely different direction. <coughs> so then, why do you go in that particular direction? Yes? It's something to do with the dream. It's something to do with your understanding of that image. So here's you finding another thing. And then, these particular points where you have the odd images, look at them especially carefully. <coughs> why have you gone on that particular association? because it's telling you deep stuff. It's telling you deep stuff about what that image means to you at your dream symbolic level. And you're probably going to get a Eureka at some point about what the dream means to you. That's one level of working with them. The other level of working with your dreams in order to understand what they mean is, again, maybe to take say in my dream, I would become the driver of the car, okay? I would become the driver of the car and in my mind I would re-dream the dream from the point of view of the driver. So in the car, I am driving the car and I've got this woman on my right who is telling me, I've got Serena on my right, who's telling me how to go to get to this place we're going to, but we're on a different road, so she's not too sure. She knows the way going down the normal road. She's not too sure because we're coming in from a different road. She thinks she knows. She's got a pretty good sense of direction, and she thinks we're on the right way going through, but oh shit, we've landed up in the wrong spot. We've come to a dead end as it's a station. And she gets out to ask this guy, yeah? You see, I'm redreaming the dream from the point of view of the driver. And you get a completely different perspective of the dream and you begin to get an understanding of what that image means. And I tell you, it's a really powerful technique, this one. A really powerful technique. And if you want to work with your dreams and get all the meaning, all this guidance, 
yes, warning your personal pitfalls, guide to the solution of problems and solve. You want to get this level of understanding, of wisdom, the truth factor from your dreams, then I do recommend you play around with these techniques and you do things like this, like becoming one of the images in the dream. I mean, I could have become the car or I could have become the guy in the station who gave the instructions. And any one of becoming any of those things would have actually taught me about what the dream was telling me and would have helped me to understand what was going on here. There's another way you can work with dreams and this is actually working more at the therapy level now. I had a friend who um, was working. We were doing this. It's a do-it-yourself psychotherapy course using dreams, using imagination, using ritual to help sort out problems. And the problem that she identified to work on was her spider phobia. She had a really bad spider phobia. And working with this, she was really beginning to get to grips with the root cause of the spider phobia, which of course came from childhood, and of course came from her parents, her mother had a spider phobia and so on. But one of the key turning points, she had a dream and in the dream she was standing in her own living room and her father and her husband were there with her and a butterfly came in and the butterfly landed on her and it was a beautiful butterfly. She went to her husband and her father, look at this butterfly, it's lovely. And then another butterfly landed and then another and then another and then another and then another until she was covered in butterflies and she was screaming. Because butterflies are a bit like spiders in some way, yes? Can you see this? A bit sort of... <gasps> and she was... Ah! Because she was covered in butterflies. She was screaming to the men, take the butterflies off me! And they were trying to pull the butterflies away and they couldn't. And she woke up and part of her spiderphobia had been literally at night screaming to the point that she would throw herself out of bed. And she'd wake up like this, yes, and it was part of the spider phobia and she had this, woke up screaming. So, what did we do? We did this final technique. And she went back into the dream, being there in her living room, her husband and her father, the butterfly landing on her, and what she did was she changed the ending. So there she was covered in the butterfly cloak, The two men couldn't help her and she re and, and like she used her imagination. She just went into a deep space where things happen, yes? So she didn't will it to happen. But what then happened was that two women walked in to her house and stood by the front door and saw her in the butterfly cloak and said, Oh, how beautiful. And she then saw herself with the butterfly cloak through the eyes of these two friends who'd walked in and her panic left her. And as her panic left her and she saw herself in this beautiful shimmering butterfly cloak, so the butterflies lifted up like a cloud off of her and just went. And that was a turning point. 
in her spidophobia, in actually sorting out this panic fear problem that she had. It was, was a key turning point. Okay, the whole process took over a year, but this was key. And this is another technique for working with dreams in order to sort out problems. And if you've got a dream that is key like that one, in a particular problem that you've got, then this is a way of actually sorting out the problems. Going into the dream using imagination, using ritual. Now I'm aware from Nigel turning over the tapes that I've probably talked for about an hour. I actually have lots more <laughs> that I could say. I, I feel I'm, I'm just sort of warming into it about using dreams for a particular purpose and using them for sorting out particular problems. But maybe now is the time, rather than you all sort of sitting there and me just going at you, is to actually open it out more into sort of discussion and dialogue because the techniques for me is the major thing for, for actually working with dreams and sorting dreams and the other major thing is how to understand them and I think that I've given you this. But one thing I haven't given you, and I think I'll close with this, yes, on working with dreams for a particular purpose, is how to do dream induction. I do dream induction if I have a problem and I want to sort it. I do dream induction if I have a dream image that I don't understand and I want clarification on it. I do a dream induction if I want to know about something. Yes, these things that I've got here, the warning of personal pitfalls and so on. Yes? Now what I do is before I go to sleep, I say out loud 20 times, I will dream about whatever it is that I want to know about. And I will remember and record my dream in the morning. I will dream about so-and-so and I will remember and recall my dream in the morning. I will dream about so-and-so. I say it 20 times. By the time you said it out loud 20 times, you've really got it in there. You've gone through every different variation of, of how, you know, I will dream about. I will remember and record it. Yes, you've really got it in there. And I find that when I do that, that I actually fall asleep with the words going round and round my mind. And then I wake in the morning and I write down the dream. And I have to know that even though that dream might not on the surface look as though it's giving me information about what I that was asking about, that it is in actual fact giving me information about what I was asking about. Now the dream that I told you before about the spiral and going into the centre and into the grove was a dream induction. And I was actually asking about a recurrent image that I had had in my dreams over the previous few months, which had come in three or four dreams. I'd had three particular men had come into my dream. And I didn't understand this image. Yes, it was a recurrent image that come in in different forms in different <coughs> dreams and I didn't understand what it was saying to me. And so I did the dream induction for a dream to tell me what these three men meant. And that's what 
the, the, the spiral labyrinth and so on. It was a dream to tell me about something. Yes, it was giving me further wisdom and further insight. And it was an archetypal dream. It was a mythic dream. It was a very strong dream, which was telling me that those three men were of archetypal importance for me in, at a very, very deep level. At a very deep level indeed. So this is how we can use dreams for a particular purpose. We can, we can, I mean it might be a solution to, you know, you have got a relationship problem. How is the best way to deal with it? Go to your dreams and ask them. You might have a problem at work. What is the best way to deal with this problem at work? Go into your dreams and ask. You might have a personal thing like a spider phobia. You can work with your dreams in order to find the root problem and the actual cure in a very dramatic way, the one I gave you, the actual cure to whatever the problem is. And of course dreams, as I said before, are psychic. We can look into the future with dreams. Most people who have a precognition, have a forewarning, have it when they're dreaming. Dreams are the the place par excellence where we move outside of time and you can look into the future with dreams as well. Yes, I think that's me. <laughs>